This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Five minutes after the hour, it's Tuesday, December 7th. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Ambrose, Bishop and Doctor of the Church. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverage. Thanks so much for joining us across America. On Tuesdays, we always remember to pray to our guardian angels, asking them for help in our everyday lives. Today also marks the 80th anniversary of the attack against America by Japan in Pearl Harbor. It's a day that will live in infamy. We want to take a few moments to remember that day, December 7th, 1941. Just two hours into the attack, KGU reporter made the only known live report of the battle by telephone to NBC in New York. And now we take you to Honolulu. One, two, three, four. Hello, NBC. Hello, NBC. This is KGU in Honolulu, Hawaii. I am speaking from the roof of the advertiser public company building. We have witnessed this morning the distant view of the battle of Pearl Harbor and the severe bombing of Pearl Harbor by enemy planes, undoubtedly Japanese. The city of Honolulu has also been attacked and considerable damage done. This battle has been going on for nearly three hours. This is John Daly speaking from the CBS newsroom in New York. Here is the Far East situation as reported to this moment. The Japanese have attacked the American naval base at Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and our defense facilities at Manila, capital of the Philippines. In communication with Columbia's radio station, KGMB in Honolulu, we heard here in New York that the Pearl Harbor base had been attacked and anti-aircraft fire was heard. A telephone message to the United Press from Fort Schaefer in Hawaii said that 50 planes attacked the island of Oahu. Vice President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate, of the House of Representatives, yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Those were the words of President Franklin D. Roosevelt that we as Americans will never forget. Every year on December 7th, we honor and remember the 2,403 service members and civilians who were killed during the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. Another 1,178 people were injured in the attack, which permanently sank two U.S. Navy battleships, the USS Arizona and the USS Utah, and destroyed 188 
aircraft. On this 80th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, let's pray for unity in our nation. Let's pray for peace. Let's invoke the Prince of Peace, our Lord Jesus Christ, to protect America. We begin every show and every hour in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of life and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, in this year of St. Joseph, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy, Smer- the Holy Spirit here on Morning Air when we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. The Apostle St. Paul writes, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, godly and respectful in every way. The Apostle St. Paul reminds us to pray for our government, to pray for our leaders. Even if you don't agree with their policies or politics, we are called to pray for our president, our Congress, and all of our leaders, because the Lord in his mercy wants all men to be saved and come to know the knowledge of the truth. We pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149, that's 888-914-914. Now, a couple of years ago, a Pew Research Center survey showed that only 31% of Catholics in the U.S. believe in the real presence of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. Christ in the Eucharist is the same baby Jesus in Bethlehem that we are preparing to receive on Christmas. We love the Christmas season and everything that comes with it. It's a beautiful time when we prepare our hearts to continue uh, preparing for the coming of the baby Jesus. Many love celebrating Christmas, but not many believe that that very same baby in Bethlehem is really present in the Holy Eucharist. Now joining us is Dr. Stacy Trasankos to discuss her book, Behold It Is I, Scripture, Tradition, and Science on the Real Presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Dr. Trasankos is a nationally recognized author and speaker, along with being the executive director of the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization in Tyler, Texas. Dr. Trisenko is also a popular veteran TV and radio host and guest. Good morning, uh, Dr. Trisenko. Welcome to Morning Air. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Good to be with you. Hi, thanks for having me on this morning. This is a, a topic that is very dear to my heart, uh, the Holy Eucharist. Uh, how can we explain uh, how so many Catholics are missing uh, the, the fact that the Eucharist is the greatest gift in the world because it is truly Christ present to us? How to explain that? I, I think it's, it's really simple on one hand that we teach our children that, that, you know, that it becomes the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the Mass. But I think sometimes Catholics just get so used to going to Mass, they take it for granted, and they stop thinking about 
the fact that you're with the Lord of the universe, your creator and savior, every time you're physically present in mass. Um, and I, I think it just kind of the relationship wanes after a number of years with some, I mean, I know sometimes I feel sort of, you know, ambivalent in my faith, but we, we wrote this book because Father Elliot, um, who's a priest here in the Diocese of Tyler under Bishop Strickland, we wrote the book because here in the Bible Belt, I mean, we live in like the belt buckle of the Bible Belt, like the dead center. Um, there's a lot of people who love Jesus, but most people don't understand Catholicism. They're not Catholic or they're even against Catholicism because they think that we're some weird cult or something. So he had put together, Father Elliot had put together a, a bunch of uh, apologetic proofs from Scripture and from the Church Fathers um, to explain this to the pe- to people who ask him because so many people ask him about, you know, what, what, what do Catholics believe? Um, and then I wrote the third part on Eucharistic miracles, where I looked at some of the evidence of some of the, the three most popular Eucharistic miracles. Uh, and, and the whole thing put together, it kind of makes the point that our faith is not based on science. Our faith is based on the testimony of Jesus Christ and the testimony of the Church Fathers guided by the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the Church. So it kind of takes us full circle back to the fundamental thing that we believe about the Eucharist. It's interesting. We're here in Advent uh, preparing for uh, Christmas, and the very word Christmas comes from Christ's Mass uh, in English. Uh, the, the very same Christ that we're about to receive at, at Midnight Mass or on Christmas Day, mm-hmm. uh, it wouldn't be Christmas without our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it wouldn't be the Eucharist without Him. You can't separate the real presence uh, from the real Christ. Uh, this is something that we need to keep in mind here as we prepare for Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. it is always, you know, like when I'm a convert, and I remember thinking when I became Catholic, it's like every day is like Christmas and Easter all wrapped into one. Like there's just so much excitement in every day, the gift of that day to get up and have another chance to discover God's will for your life and to discover what your purpose is and all the relationships that you have. Um, and I remember as a, as a new Catholic, even with little babies and toddlers and pregnancies, um, going to daily Mass, even when I couldn't receive the Eucharist, just because I told my husband, if that's really Christ and He's really present, and all I have to do is drive 10 minutes down the road, even before I can receive I just want to be there and be as close to him as I can. That was my way of saying to the church and to God, I'm all in. You know, I I believe. And it it did wonderful things for my faith. That's the great thing about the gift of faith. If you just try a little bit, you'll be blessed abundantly with it. Um, But it, you know, that stuck with me now all these years later after converting um, how how everything really hinges on that source and summit of our Catholic faith. And that's why we wrote the book. We just wanted to have everything all in one place to give the, the best proofs for the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And of course, the best proofs are faith. Uh, Dr. Trusankos, um, what uh, what type of um, of Christian were you before you became Catholic? Because as, as you know, uh, there are thousands of denominations out there, uh, and mm-hmm. really that's the biggest difference between the Catholic faith and all of our brothers and sisters and all the Protestant faiths is the belief in the real presence of Jesus yeah. in the Holy Eucharist. 
Yeah, isn't that isn't that strange? I mean, I was I grew up Baptist, and so I mean, I have to say, the Baptist people taught, and especially my grandmother, they taught me to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Like I, I knew I knew that from a very early age. It's just that they didn't have a lot of other answers, and so. I'm a chemist. I, I went off to school and studied science and decided faith was just for the, the weak-minded, you know, people who didn't want to ask bigger questions. And and I left my faith behind. And it wasn't until my 30s that having lived um, a, a life of basically materialism or scientism, it wasn't until in my 30s that I, I realized I needed answers about what it means to be human and what it means to love and, and why I so desperately want to belong to my family and my community and, and destiny and all that. So, I, you know, my husband helps me find my way into the Catholic Church. And now that I'm living back here in Texas where I grew up, um, it just, it, it feels, I look at the Protestant denominations around me and the people do love Jesus so much. And I just want to say to them, like, why are you having this long distance relationship with Jesus by going to your churches where he's not physically present, you know, where he's not truly present, why don't you just come to the Catholic Mass and be with this this God you love so much? Um, and, it, you know, we have a lot of evangelization to do down here in Texas because it's really hard. It's really hard just to get that simple point across because people just have such preconceived notions about Catholicism down here. Like, they think we do weird things like worship Mary and and, uh, you know, confession and all of that. So we kind of wrote the book as a response to our time and place, but I think it, it's something that would benefit anyone. Well, Dr. Trisankos, I'm curious, uh, as a Baptist, how did you read uh, John 6, uh, the bread of life discourse, and especially <laughs> uh, uh, the uh, verses that specifically talk about uh, eating uh, Christ's uh, flesh and drinking his blood? How do you read those without understanding that uh, he wasn't yeah. just speaking symbolically? Yeah, I, I remember having that kind of question when I was growing up. It's like we took Genesis literally, <laughs> you know, as a young earth creation. We we took that literally, but we didn't take John 6 literally. And, you know, I remember being confused about that. Like, how how do you know? Like, how do you know one is a symbol and one is not? And um, it was very confusing. And, and I think now, like, if you you know, of course, we, we always should try to th take things literally in the Bible as far as possible. Um, and it just comes down to that. But the, the thing that Father Elliot did, which I really appreciate, and I had not seen before done so well, he didn't just give like the John 6 or the institution narratives. He has a whole chapter, a whole section on what the Bible says. And he goes through the Old Testament passages that are types and prefigurements leading up to the institution of the Eucharist, like the tree of life, the sacrifice of Melchizedek, the Passover, the manna, the bread in the desert, the, the bread of presence. And he shows going through the Old Testament how it was all leading up to the the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. And then he goes into all the gospel and the New Testament passages that support it. Um, and it, what it was so beautiful about what Father Elliot did in that part of the book is that you see how it all fits together. Like it had to be this way. And it, it was, God was telling us it was going to be this way for a long time. And, and, and the, the 
old, you know, we read the old in light of the new and the new in light of the old, all centered on Christ. It makes that point about typology so, so wonderfully. And then when he gets to the next part about what the church father said, um, you, you're realizing that many of them are writing right after the life of Christ and many of them knew Christ. And so guided by the Holy Spirit, this belief persisted and it, and it was, you know, a common belief defended by the church fathers for so long. And it, it we have this heritage of this belief that it's only rather recently that, that the Protestant denomination started not believing in the real presence. Um, and his two parts of the book are the, are the best. I had the last part just to look at some of the Eucharistic miracles. And as a chemist, I found some of the investigations of the Eucharistic miracles wanting. I, I found I found them inconclusive, but that just led us to conclude at the end of the book that we don't believe in the real presence of Christ because of science or miracles or investigations of miracles. We believe in the real presence because of what Christ told us. That is the person we have faith in, that we believe. Absolutely. And I think that when you um, take a look at the whole picture, when you look at all of uh, the scriptures from both the Old Testament and then the, the New Testament scriptures, John 6, uh, the three synoptic uh, gospels, uh, St. Paul and what he had to say about the Holy Eucharist, uh, it's quite compelling. And you, th- you throw in the, the early church fathers, and I mean, it, it is a uh, powerful uh, testimony on behalf of the true presence. Uh, all we need to do is study it and learn it and then share it with as many people as we can. That's right. And and we we were trying to put all of that together into one book and we we were clear the very you know we start the book out by saying, you know, this is a a book about apologetic proofs, but it's a book about faith. And and talking about what that means to have faith, the substance of things unseen. Um and, and really with the Eucharistic miracles part, which is a whole other discussion, um, it's kind of like sometimes I think Catholics, because they're not real firm in their belief in the true presence, they try to use miracles to convince themselves or to convince other people. They try to use the miracles to prove the real presence of Christ, like, look, this host bled, this this wine turned into real blood with type AB. They they use that, but, but when I got into the Eucharistic miracles, a lot of the claims that are being made from the scientific investigations are exaggerations. And it's almost like there's an impiety there in needing to see something, have knowledge, before many of us are willing to believe with, without seeing. And it, it just, you know, the weakness in the scientific investigations of the miracles, I think, just points us back to faith. We don't have faith in the testimony of scientists or men or other people on earth here. We have faith in God who became incarnate and, and came to this to walk among us and to tell us that we have a, a path to salvation. And, um, you know, it, faith is a little unnerving because we want to see things. We want to touch things. We want to be right there. But it, it is a book about faith, that the faith is reasonable, but you also have to realize 
that the certainty of faith comes from knowing that you're accepting the testimony of God himself who came to be with us. As St. Paul says, absolutely reasonable. I was going to say, as, as St. Paul says, uh, we live by faith, uh, not by sight. Uh, right. And so uh, I think it's very uh, timely that that the uh, U.S. bishops uh, are calling for <laughs> a, a national Eucharistic revival for ne- next year. Yeah. Um, just a quick thought on, on the importance of this revival uh, to get us all more excited uh, and, and really meditating on the truth of, of our faith in the Holy Eucharist. It is a time to stop and think about what we mean when we say, I believe, and what we're willing to grant assent to in our, in our minds and with our wills. God made us in his image and likeness with intellect and free will, and, and our yes to God is saying, I don't need to see everything. I don't even need to understand everything, but I believe you are real, and I believe that Christ came to to make it possible for us to be saved and to come to heaven. And, and then it changes the way you get up every morning and live your life. Okay, God, I'm up. I'm all in. What do you need me to do today? I'm discerning. I'm listening. I'm trying to, to do good. I'm trying to practice virtue. I'm trying to make a difference in my life. And that becomes your, your main focus. And everything else falls in line behind that. Even if you're at the grocery store shopping for spaghetti sauce, everything else falls in line behind that is ordered by that. And um, I really hope in this next year that it, that that we all have that courage, including myself, to to really let go of trying to know everything and to really, in confidence and certainty, embrace faith in Jesus Christ. Well, uh, Dr. Stacy uh, Trasenkos, thank you so much uh, for for being with us uh, this morning. Uh, many blessings uh, with your book. Behold, it is I: Scripture, Tradition, and Science on the Real Presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks. Good morning. We need to take uh, a short break. When morning air continues, Bishop Richard Sticker, the Bishop of Knoxville, Tennessee, will be with us to discuss evil in this world, especially when the church and the faithful are confronted by it. Stay with us. There's much more to come on morning air as we continue. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Conversation. Call us now, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 31 minutes after the hour, welcome back to Morning Air on the Feast of St. Ambrose, Bishop and Doctor of the Church. I'm John Morales. Great to be with you once again. Thank you so much for joining us. We have heard this question before, and we've probably asked ourselves this very same question. If God is good, why is there evil in the world? We cannot deny the presence of evil, but the question is, how do we deal with it? Joining us now is His Excellency, Bishop Richard Sticker, the Bishop of the Diocese of Knox 
Knoxville, Tennessee, to talk about evil in this world, especially when the church and the faithful are confronted by it. Bishop Sticker was appointed the third bishop of Knoxville by Pope Benedict in 2009. He's also a member of the Knights of Columbus in the Order of the Holy Sepulcher. Your Excellency, Bishop Sticker, welcome back to Morning Air. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Good morning on this Advent Day, St. Ambrose. Good morning, Excellency. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, what recently happened um, to the Catholic Charities of East Tennessee headquarters in Knoxville. So, yeah, it was quite sad. Um, two weeks ago on a Sunday evening, there was a alarm that went off at our headquarters uh, for Catholic Charities, and it turns out it it, it was a. Uh, Someone set a fire in one of the offices, broken, set a fire, and did extensive damage to the building. Um, it's a total loss on the inside of the building, but the outside structure um, will be able to rebuild inside. So, yeah, it was just a real tragedy, especially in December and the work there. It's, it's both the headquarters, and then we also have a pregnancy outreach center there, as well as dealing with new mothers and education and diaper, uh, different uh articles of new babies need and stuff. So it was real sad, uh, but it was definitely arson, and uh, no one has been apprehended yet. But uh, the work goes on. The work continues on. We just moved to a different location close by, and then uh, we'll rebuild. What was your reaction uh, when you when you heard of this? Uh, were there any witnesses? Is, is there any chance of finding out who did this? Well, um, I can't get too much into the details. Um, the police are actively involved as well as the fire officials. Um, but right now, as far as I know, uh, no one has been caught or, um, but I'm sure there's always, you know, the, there's always interest. There, there are cameras in that neighborhood, you know, around on the streets. There was some on our building, unfortunately, not at the right place. So it's going to be a learning experience for us in terms of security. Uh, but as of this moment, I haven't heard of any uh, person who uh, has been apprehended. Well, Excellency, it's it's an unthinkable situation, and you got to uh, wonder uh, about uh, the destruction that impacted not only the physical building, but it's also uh, affected the, the hope of many people, especially here uh, during uh, Advent. And also with the staff, you know, the, um, we have, uh, I think there are 11 people that work in that building, but then there are dozens and dozens of volunteers. And I went there uh, two days after the fire and uh, met with the staff and just tried to bring them support and comfort. And, uh, you know, they were angry. I'm angry, um, but also sad. But one of the things that many pointed out, we also have to pray for the person who, who caused all this tragedy. You know, they must have a very troubled life and uh yeah but uh we'll we'll move on we'll move on and uh continue the good work that uh, that happens in that place well anytime there's this type of a, of a tragedy you, you got to wonder uh, about uh, the reality of of evil if somebody did this out of pure malice uh, how do we um approach this type of a, of a tragedy especially um, when the church and the faithful are, are confronted by evil if if somebody did this in a premeditated way uh, i mean that is downright evil right uh, yeah evil and sinful and you know, there are many things that happen in the world, in our own lives, 
in the lives of the church. So the answers are not easy, but they're, we're confronted by them. So it's our response. You know, um, there are things that we can't control, but our response is that which comes from us. And so when we're faced with these these kind of uh, horrific uh, experiences in life, then we have to make a personal decision based on our faith and, and our personality, but especially on our faith, how we will respond to the, uh, these situations. Do we respond in a, in a vengeful way or, uh, you know, uncontrolled anger? Or do we try to measure our response, you know, based on our Christian principles and then either learn from the experiences or rebuild from those experiences? And, you know, there's, there's evil in the world, but then there's also things like being confronted with d- disease or other things that are not on that same spectrum of evil, but also how we respond to the, uh, these experiences as well. And hopefully we have a deep foundation, uh, trust in the Lord, um, trust in our own abilities and, and the community that surrounds us to respond in a way that's uh, in some ways positive and, and, uh, and, and gives us a, a real sense of what hope is is all about, and that's how we're responding to this Catholic charity situation. Excellency, we have seen vandalism uh, that has plagued the Catholic uh, sites, uh, parishes, monuments uh, across our country uh, in the last uh, 18 months, especially uh, uh, during the summer months. We saw statues being damaged, uh, tombstones in cemeteries overturned, even fire set in some facilities. Uh, so the, the tragedy that happened um, there uh, in your diocese is, is something that we've been seeing in other parts of the country. Uh, how, how concerning is that for us as Catholics to see uh, the, these attacks on our church? Well, you know, it's been part of our history in the, in the United States. You know, if you go back to the know-nothing experiences back in the 19th century here, um, over the years we've had some acts of vandalism, uh, again, mostly statues. Um, and sometimes they're just done by uh, young folks who try to stir things up and other times it might be the result of anger, whatever it might be. Uh, Again, uh, we have to be vigilant. We have to be responsible. Um, Allow it to be a teaching moment uh, uh, in terms of how we protect ourselves. But, you know, this dates back for centuries and centuries. And uh, it's part of the human condition of some people. Uh, Evil, again, you know, uh, where people allow evil to enter into their heart. When I was still in St. Louis uh, years ago, there was a huge amount of vandalism at a Jewish cemetery. And the beauty of that was all kinds of people came together to uh, to repair the statues or to set them upright, uh, the, the monuments. And, uh, you know, it just happens. And again, you scratch your head and you wonder why. But you can only do that for a little bit. Then you move on and repair and rebuild. Um, Bishop Sticker, what, what was your message to uh, the faithful in your diocese uh, when you learned about uh, this tragedy? Well, um, my goal was to, to express sorrow and, and a bit of, of anger at the situation. I also invited people to, to pray for the staff, and and, uh, and I always hate that word staff, my co-workers, because we work together pray for them and because they've been violated, uh, you know, their own space. 
and especially to pray that uh, for the clients that we are we are honored to serve who depend so much on the work of Catholic Charities. And what's been remarkable, even though the building is at a loss, we really haven't missed uh, missed today. Uh, we were able to acquire uh, office space, and we're looking at renting a trailer to park on the lot in front of the building. So people are used to coming, you know, to that location still will not be disrupted. So you got to be creative and uh, hopefully within a year, we'll be back in the building. Let's talk about um, this spiritual battle and uh, what we can do as Catholics, uh, the, the power of prayer uh, to pray against evil. Uh, the evil one uh, hates it when we, prayer, when we pray, and obviously uh, there are certain weapons that, that we can employ, maybe uh, perhaps uh, praying the rosary, uh, praying the, the prayer of, of St. Michael the Archangel. Uh, correct. And, and uh, you know, if even going back to the time of Jesus, you know, uh, the evil one, Satan, uh, the devil, uh, Lucifer, whatever name you give that, that, that person, that creature, that angel, fallen angel, um, he doesn't want us to believe that he does exist. He's the prince of lies. But we also know for us, God does exist. Prayer is powerful. The saints are our intercessors, and that we can trust that God will take care of those um, who are in need. So uh, a few years ago when the the whole Cardinal uh, McCarrick experience happened, a lot of people were very, very sad and wondered what was going on in the world, in the church. So I reinstituted, uh, after Mass, after the final blessing, the prayer of St. Michael the Archangel. And... Uh, you know, we were also doing the prayer of St. Joseph during the, the, the year of St. Joseph. Um, but that prayer um, and our own personal conviction that if we begin to buy into a culture that says there is no devil, then the devil begins to win in little small ways. So we have to be very vigilant. Padre Peel said that the rosary, which is entirely based on Scripture, is a powerful weapon against the devil. And so all these prayers, these wonderful pious practices, as long as they're directed to God and to the intercession of the saints, based on scripture, um, based on personal reflection and prayer, uh, those are the weapons that we have. You know, those are the weapons that are powerful and are time-tested. And so we have to continue to use those. Absolutely. I know we're coming up on, on your priestly ordination anniversary in a few days. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about that on a more positive note. But first, we need to take a, a short break as we continue our conversation with His Excellency Bishop Richard Sticka, the Bishop of Knoxville, Tennessee. Stay with us. We'll be back with much more after this. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. From Maui to Maine, you're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. Coast to coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
45 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us this morning as we continue our conversation with His Excellency Bishop Richard Sticker, the Bishop of Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, Excellency, I want to first of all say congratulations. Uh, you have uh, a, a big anniversary coming up uh, of your priestly ordination on December 14th. Yeah, December 14th, my class, the uh, a total of five for St. Louis, will celebrate 36 years of, of priesthood. And you know what's interesting about our class? At one time or another, all five of us have been involved in seminary work. Um, I was vicar for seminaries, and one of my classmates is a professor of canon law, and the others have been involved in formation and such. So I guess... By passing through the seminary, something must must have touched our life about uh, priestly formation and a love for the priesthood. Absolutely. Uh, you, now, you've been a priest now for the many years. 36 years is a long time. As you reflect back, um, what is uh, the one thing that you have learned uh, from uh, your priestly vocation and now as a bishop? Uh, to, to trust in the Lord and to uh, to know that truly if we are open to the Holy Spirit, um, that we can touch lives as long as we are grounded in who we are as priests. And uh, for me, it's just been a, uh, well, I always, uh, I, I entered the seminary after college. I wanted to, my degrees in, in business. And I had this all planned out. I wanted to be a parish priest and eventually to be a pastor. And, and for the first five years, five and a half years, I, I, I was given that gift. And then since then, my priesthood has changed a whole lot, you know, being involved in administration, working with the Archbishop in St. Louis. Um, I was involved in youth ministry, a pastor for five years, and now as a bishop. But, you know, it's always the same core. I remember reading once what title that the Pope, uh, Pope John Paul um was most special to him, and he said the title Father. And, and I think at the core of anyone in terms of holy orders as a priest, that title Father isn't something that's just directed at us, as the grace of God the Father passes through us in the sacraments. And that's just been a beautiful experience for me. Uh, Excellency, were you um, one of those young guys that when you were little, uh, you dreamt of being a priest one day? Uh, there's some priests that uh, used to pretend uh, like they were uh, consecrating the Holy Eucharist and, and having Mass when they were six, seven years old. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I think that was just a part of, uh, at some point, of our Catholic upbringing. Uh, I've, I've always been involved in Catholic schools. But I had, in my youth, excellent examples of priests, you know, just loving men who uh, loved the faith and they wanted to share it. They shared their lives with our, with our families. Uh, you know, I also wanted to be a father, a, a parent. And this past Sunday, I was at a house, they have 11 children, and they pray the rosary together as a family, and 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 I see that component of life too, and uh, you know I, I I've missed that over the years. Now I guess I'm missing grandchildren, maybe great grandchildren, who knows? But you know, um, as I look back, uh, I just see the priesthood is just a a beautiful gift that kind of 
recreates itself every day when I, I get up in the morning and say my morning prayers and such. You are a father. You're a spiritual father to many in your diocese, uh, many more uh, than just a handful of children in a family. Oh, yeah, I, I recognize that, you know, and, and uh, I enjoy being with the people. That, that gives me so much energy. And, and uh, you know, we're blessed with vocations here, and, and the great honor of my life is always to, uh, to ordain a, a priest or a deacon. I recently ordained a deacon who we thought was near death, and He's actually getting much better. Um, well, you know, praise the, the Lord. The that, that's great news to oh, hear. Yeah. yeah, that was a very powerful story that you shared with us a while back. Yeah, since then, it's almost three months. They gave him two to three weeks. And he's gained 20 pounds, and he's, he's at the parish. And it's uh, the grace of orders. Who knows? And, uh, you know, so it's just a special thing uh, to be able to be a bishop to— uh, you know, to continue that line through apostolic tradition of the priesthood and to see the enthusiasm of young priests. And I have a pastor right now. He's an active pastor. He's not going to be 94. And in uh, Newport, Monsignor uh, Bob. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing to see the church. You know, a lot of times people say, oh, the church is in, in a horrible shape. No, it's not. It's part of the cycle of the church. And I see the, the enthusiasm of the Seminarians, we have 13, maybe four entering next year. Um, and then I see the grace of orders all through the eras of uh, the lives of men who are in the priesthood today. Excellency, how um, hopeful are you of the young people in our church? Uh, having worked in youth ministry over the years, uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the importance of, of the youth, uh, of uh, developing our young people, inspiring and educating our young people, because they are the future of the Catholic Church in our country? Well, you know, I, I believe not only they are the future of the church, but they're present in the church today. You know, their influence, their positivity, their uh, curiosity, uh, I think, is so special. And, you know, you can fall into this, this situation where you read about the young folks who are not involved in the church. Well, I just see just the opposite. I see enthusiastic people. I see uh, people who work for things like um, um, focus ministers. I was talking to one yesterday, college students who were given their, their time. At the bishops' meeting, uh, I usually don't make too many interventions, but you know, with this new beautiful document on the Eucharist, I think, and I kind of hopefully challenge the bishops, when, when children are in the fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, they begin to form opinions about the church. And I hope that we're looking in the diocese how we can use this document on the Eucharist, how to begin to... Uh, to, to um, explain that document and to work on that enthusiasm for people in, in grade schools. And, and so um, I, I see the church has a bright, bright future, recognizing the fact that the church also undergoes certain cycles. And, and, uh, but I see you have to, if we believe in the power of God, the church has a bright, uh, bright future. Your Excellency Bishop Sticker, can you talk a little bit about uh, how we can make sure to take the time here during Advent to prepare our hearts uh, to receive the Lord, the, the baby of Bethlehem on Christmas Day? Yeah, well, here, um, before Advent began, I 
one of the little things I, I recommended to people was, you know, the Gospel of St. Luke has 24 chapters, started on December 1st, takes you to, to uh, Christmas Eve. You know, the take time out uh, to actually understand what Advent is about, um, to prepare for the birth of Christ. Sure, on a historical moment, you know, December 25th as we celebrate it. But, you know, the uh, my favorite song of Advent is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's just a beautiful, beautiful hymn. You know, God is with us, Emmanuel, God is with us. I think that should be our mantra every day throughout the year. But also the church gives us these beautiful moments in, in our liturgical year to focus on certain things, to read the scriptures, uh, to look at Isaiah, um, to allow the uh, excitement of uh, of the beauty of the gift of Jesus in our lives. God is with us. And and to do these little spiritual practices, just like we do during the season of Lent, because the two are connected in so many ways, but also throughout the year to, to build on that faith. Uh, and uh, it'll make a difference. It'll make a difference. Excellency, uh, tonight is the vigil of uh, the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of our Blessed Mother. We also have the gift uh, of our Mother. We celebrate uh, this big feast day tomorrow, and then uh, later in the week, uh, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, right here in the middle of Advent. Yeah, again, Advent is so much about the, the Blessed Mother, because if we look at the historical context, it was when she was carrying the child in her womb, Jesus recognized by John the Baptist, one baby in the womb to the other. And again, that's a lesson for all of us. You know, it was a baby in the womb that left for joy at the birth of Christ, you know, Jesus and John the Baptist. And yeah, the the feast tomorrow, uh, patroness of the United States, um, you know, recognized as an infallible understanding, you know, dating the Pius IX. And Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is just a magnificent feast, Again, for the Americas, um, you know, and I look forward to celebrating uh, both. And uh, it's just so significant, the connection of Mary, Joseph, Jesus, especially in the world today where we're all kind of wandering, uh, looking for that truth, and the truth is right before us. It's God. It's the gift of Jesus. Excellency, I'm a little bit sad because uh, the year of St. Joseph is going to come to an end uh, tomorrow, but it's been a great year to really think about the importance of St. Joseph in our lives. Yeah, since I was a child, I've always had a, a, a real affection for St. Joseph. So for me, it just continues on like it has in the past. You know, um, we had the prayer from Pope Francis, and, and I, I kind of adapted it a little bit during this time of the covid you know, the pray, part of the prayer is to pray for our sisters and brothers, everybody in East Tennessee in this diocese, but throughout the world. But it doesn't mean we have to stop, you know. So we'll, um, I'm going to tell our parishes if they want to continue it on, uh, you know, in private devotions. But with a devotion to St. Joseph, it's never private, yeah. It's it's part of the, he's the patron of the Universal Church. Amen. And so continue that relationship. Yeah. Can you give us uh, your blessing? Yeah, on this Advent day, as we prepare again for the uh, birth of Christ in a significant way, I I pray that everybody use this opportunity of Advent and this day especially uh, to be closer to the Lord in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much, Your Excellency uh, Bishop Sticker, for being with us this morning. Okay, see you next year, huh? Absolutely. 
Bishop right, Richard Sticker, the third bishop of Knoxville, Tennessee. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called, Who Started This Christmas Stuff? A woman was out Christmas shopping with her two children. After many hours looking at row after row of toys and everything else imaginable, and after hours of hearing both children ask for everything they saw on those many shelves, she finally made it to the elevator with the kids in tow and her arms loaded with her purchases. She was feeling what so many of us feel during the holiday season. She was overwhelmed with the pressures to go to every party, every housewarming, taste all the holiday food and treats, get that perfect gift for every single person on her shopping list. She had to make sure she didn't forget anyone on her card list, and the pressure of being sure she responded to everyone who sent her a card was almost more than she could bear. Finally, the elevator doors opened. There was already a crowd in the elevator, but she pushed her way into the car, dragging her two kids and all the bags of stuff in with her. When the doors closed, she couldn't take it anymore and stated, Whoever started this whole Christmas thing should be found, strung up, and shot. And from the back of the car, everyone heard a quiet, calm voice respond, Don't worry, we already crucified him. For the rest of the trip down the elevator, it was so quiet you could have heard a pin drop. Don't forget this year to keep the one who started this whole Christmas thing in your every thought, deed, purchase, and word. If we all did it, just think of how different this whole world would be. John 10.10, I came that they may have life and might have it abundantly. Thanks so much, Glenn. Coming up next hour, Catholic evangelist Martha Fernandez-Sardina will be with us to continue her Remember You Are Love series. Today we're going to talk about St. Juan Diego and Our Lady of Guadalupe and what they teach us about love. And Relevant Radio CEO Father Rocky will talk to us about the upcoming Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Stay with us. There's much more to come next hour on Morning Air. <laughs> 